of starting a brand new series today called What's the Point? And I'm excited uh, about this series uh, that we're going to be talking about. So over the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about why the word church is so important, why you need church, and why the church actually needs you. Uh, We're going to find out that uh, the church should be a a, a home where uh, you gather as family, where you can actually belong before you even believe, Uh, that the church should be something that feels a little bit more like a tribe than an affinity group. And uh, we're going to discover why God has a purpose for you and what that purpose is. And uh, throughout this series, we're going to discover what the mission and the vision of uh, what God wants for our life actually is. So today we're going to start off with a question uh, on this What's the Point series. And the question is going to be this. What's the point of Christianity? What's the point of Christianity? You know, I, I hear it said a lot. People say this. You know, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And you may have heard lots of people say that. I find most of the people who say that are people actually probably just don't go to church or feel guilty for not going to church. Uh, But they say this, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And then there's another statement that I'm hearing a lot lately, a lot of people saying this. And they say, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in organized church or organized religion. And you may have heard people say that. I believe in God and I don't believe in Jesus. And I believe in Jesus. But I don't believe in organized church or organized religion. To which then I would say, well, what's even the point of Christianity altogether? Right? If you're going to say that, what's the point of Christianity altogether? You see, Jesus, when Jesus lived on this earth, Jesus wasn't a Christian. Jesus didn't go to church. Jesus, in fact, was a Jew. And when Jesus called his little band of brothers from being fishermen and from being tax collectors and and different ones, there was James and there was John and then there was uh, Andrew and Peter and there was Bartholomew and then there was Matthew and Judas and Thomas and a few others. When Jesus called them and says, come follow me, they were Jews. And Jesus There's nowhere in recording scripture where Jesus asked them to convert to Christianity. Because Christianity wasn't even around when Jesus lived on this earth. In fact, even more, last week it was Easter and we celebrated the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that after Jesus died on the cross, he laid in a tomb. And then on the third day, which was like Sunday morning, he rose again. And then he spent some time with the disciples after he rose from the dead. And then the Bible says he ascended to heaven and the disciples were never to see his earthly body again. And in all that time, Jesus never asked them to become a Christian. In fact, they stayed as being Jews. And then they started this thing called the early church. And when the early church started, the church did not meet in a church building. In fact, the church met in a Jewish temple. There was a corner of the Jewish temple where they met and they still followed a lot of their Jewish practices. But now they started to believe in a new way the Jesus way, and they called this belief the way. Because Jesus said once, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man shall come to the Father but through me. So now they were named the way, this belief. And then for about 10 years, this new belief, this new way, just centered around Jewish people. 
And so there were just Jewish people who were following this. And then, about 10 years after the ascension of Jesus, when Jesus went up, up into heaven, in a little Syrian town called Antioch, the term Christianity started to come about. You see, before that time, most of the people who followed the way, the way of Jesus, were Jewish people. But now at Antioch, there were people called Gentiles. And what Gentiles are, they're people who are non-Jewish. So if you don't have Jewish blood, you are, like me, a Gentile. And so the, the Gentiles started to find the way of Jesus and started to believe in the way of Jesus. And they started to come together in community and gathering homes and learn about the Jesus way. And as they were doing it, the people of the town of Antioch started looking at these people and noticing they were a little different. Some are a little crazy, some of them are a little wacky. Like in all churches, you've got some crazy and wacky people. Some of them are like serious. As in church, you've always got that serious person who like never smile. I, like any joke I will ever say from the stage, it will never crack their smile at all. You've always got those people. Then you've got the average folks. and So you had all these different people who were there. And the people in the city of Antioch, or the town of Antioch, started looking at them, and they started to nickname them. And their nickname was this, Christians. They started calling them Christians. Now, this was not a good term. It was a derogatory term. They were like, oh, look at those Christians over there. And so they started to be called Christians. Well, the church embraced this, and this is where we have our faith, or the term of our faith, Christianity, where it comes from. And so... The fact, if Jesus died for our sins, and all throughout the Gospels of Jesus, the only prerequisite of eternal life that I can find is this, is that we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Jesus says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. So when I'm looking at the Bible and the only prerequisite to eternal life is if we believe in Jesus and if Jesus was a Jew himself and then a group of Jews uh, still did not give up their Judaism, then why even bother with Christianity altogether? And why even bother with church? Well, there is an answer to this question. And it's found in the book of John, in John chapter 20. Now, John chapter 20 is the chapter where Easter happens. Uh, Jesus is resurrected from the dead and uh, the women go to visit Jesus as he's resurrected from the dead and they, they see him as people start seeing this new Jesus who has been dead and is now uh, alive. And so the answer to this happens actually on Easter. Now most of us think that Easter ended when Jesus rose from the dead, right? We celebrate it, we're like, Whoa! Jesus rose from the dead. We go and we get our Easter lunch. Then we take our Easter naps. And then maybe we might have a little egg hunt for the kids after. But that is Easter for us, right? But there's so much more to Easter than just Jesus rising from the dead. There was actually stuff that happened later on that night. And uh, it's found here in John chapter 20. So I'm going to start reading John chapter 20. Start reading from verse 19. And this is what John recalls about that day. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now remember, Jesus has been arrested and he has been put to death, death on a cross. 
And now they're thinking Jesus is dead. And they're thinking now the authorities are going to come after them. The Jewish leaders and the Romans are going to come after them. So they are huddled together in a little room. They don't want to let anybody in. They've got the furniture against the, against the door, under the beds. They're, 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 they're scared. And they're having their, whole, their holy little huddle right there. But they are scared because they think people are coming from there. Then it says this. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. A little creepy, if you ask me, like you're in a room, then suddenly Jesus appeared. It's like, whoa, where do you come from? But that's what happened. And then Jesus said this, peace be with you. As Jesus spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. For you forgive, if you forgive anyone's sins, they will be forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. So obviously he must have had a brother who looked much like him. Then it says this, was not with the others when Jesus came. And so the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hand in the wound in his side. Then eight days later, so that's Easter Sunday, not the Monday, but the week after the following Monday. The disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. So Jesus is doing his little party trick again. Like, hey, I can get in the house even if you lock the doors. And then he says this, peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless anymore. Believe. My God and my Lord, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus says, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And we've never seen the physical body of Jesus, but yet we believe. So Jesus is saying that we are blessed. Then it says this, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, a believer of Jesus, then these few verses after Easter are just as vitally important, even maybe even more important than the 20 chapters before Easter. See, in these verses that we just read, we are given purpose in life. We are given a mission for life. We are told what our destiny for life is. We are given tools to carry out this mission and the encouragement to complete it. Now, back in 1998, I took on my first ever leadership role in a church. And I was the youth pastor of the church that I grew up in. 
So I was appointed youth pastor, and my father was the actual pastor of the church. And uh, we, we had had a lot of issues with youth pastors, and uh, our last one had just left. And so basically, we had no youth at all, like no teenagers who were coming regularly to the church or anything like that. So uh, I think I was like next in line. So they're like, okay, you give it a go. And so uh, I, I started uh, uh, leading the youth, and it's really easy when... Like, you're just the only youth, you know? Um, but God started doing some amazing things. So we went from like zero youth to about 40 or 50 in about six months. And we meet on a Friday night, eight o'clock on a Friday night. And we had a great time. And God did some amazing things through those teenagers. Uh, they were praying for one another. And, uh, and just the encouragement of seeing them call out to God and worship God and just bring their friends in and their friends find life in Jesus Christ. And it was amazing. But the problem was, while I was doing that, I was also a full-time student doing my undergrad. And to pay for my undergrad, I was also working nights at a gas station as well. And so, and on top of that, I had a really high-maintenance girlfriend, but she's got nothing to do with this at all. And, uh, but uh, it, my life was like chaotic and crazy. And even though God was doing amazing things, because I was getting a little burnt out, I started seeing all the negatives instead of the positives. I started seeing the bad things instead of all the good things that God was doing. And when you start doing that, you start start internalizing things and the negative starts to take over. And in the end, I got to a place where I just couldn't do it anymore. So I decided to quit suddenly. It's not like I gave three months notice, hey, find another youth pastor. I was just like, I'm done. I quit. I'm done. And then for the next year, I sat in church And I didn't do anything. I didn't serve. I didn't greet. I didn't hand out communion. I didn't pray. I didn't do anything in church. I didn't preach. Uh, You know, I didn't help with, we had a part where we we would always get robbed. Our cars would get robbed because it wasn't in the greatest area. So we always had people who were like out in the parking lot, just making sure people weren't going to come and break into the cars. And and, uh, I didn't even do that. I didn't want to do anything at all. And I sat there for one year. I came to church. I tithed and that was it. And that was one of the biggest mistakes I've ever done in my life quitting and then sitting. You see, I didn't understand John chapter 20 back then. See, I was trying to go in my own strength. I was trying to do my own thing. I I thought I was doing it for God, but ultimately I, I, I was taking all the weight on myself. But if I'd understood what Jesus said here in John chapter 20, I would have never got to that point. And I almost lost my my destiny for life and the purpose God designed me for life because I didn't understand John chapter 21. And we'll discuss that in later weeks, John chapter 21. But my destiny to tell others about Jesus Christ and to teach the word of God, I almost lost it because I didn't understand. But as I started to understand John chapter 20, I started started to realize That God has so much more for me. That God's calling on my life is so much bigger than whatever I could achieve by myself. And so I want us to take a look at just some of the things that happened here in John chapter 20. Now, if there's one thing that people need today in their lives and they know their need for it, it is this one thing. It is peace. 
People need peace. You can ask everyone, people at work, people, you know, your neighbors, your friends, they want peace. People have so much anxiety, so much worry in this life that they're so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or or, or what's going to happen in the future. They need peace. Now, really, what people really need is they need salvation. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we need to be saved of our sins, but people don't understand that, so they don't understand their need for salvation. They think they're good and they think they're fine, but everybody understands their need for peace. And this is exactly what Jesus brings when Jesus walks into a room. He brings peace. Notice. They're afraid. The disciples are afraid. Suddenly Jesus is there doing his party trick and, you know, just right in the middle of them. And this is what he firstly says to them. Peace be with you. In fact, three of the times when Jesus is with them, he says, peace be with you. See, I've been amazed at how many times I've walked into church with a lack of peace, with anxiety, with fear going on, only to walk out of church with a fullness of peace. Why is that? Because the Bible says that when we gather in the name of Jesus, Jesus is in the midst. And where Jesus is, Jesus always brings peace. Now, John chapter 20, verses 19 to 20 tells us this. There's two things that happened when Jesus walked into the room. Jesus says, peace be with you. He brought peace. And then it says, the disciples were filled with joy. So when Jesus is around, there's two things that happen. There is always joy and there is always peace. And when the church stops being a home full of joy and peace, it ceases from being a church. And instead, it just exists as a religious group. And may us, as Generation Church, may we never be a place where there is not joy and peace here because it means Jesus isn't around. But when there's joy and peace, it shows that Jesus is present. Now, this peace was not given so the disciples could just sit around and hang out together and play video games. Just say, hey, man, we've got peace. Isn't this great? Even though hanging out was a major part of the DNA of this first church. But Jesus gave them peace because Jesus had a plan for the disciples. It was their destiny to do something bigger than any of them. And God needed all of them together. And did you know that Jesus' plans have not changed today? Did you know God has a plan for you, each and every one of you? And God's plan for your life is bigger than you. And it also needs all of you. And so what I'm going to do today, it's very quickly, just go through three things that Jesus says that shows us why we have purpose and what our mission for life is. So as Jesus comes into the room and he says, peace be with you, and they were filled with joy, then John chapter 20 and verse 21 says this. Again, Jesus says, peace be with you. Then Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. This is something that's so unique to Christianity. There's lots of other faiths and religions in this world. There's people who serve lots of different gods, that people, the things that they, they worship, these gods. But Christianity is the only religion in the world where every believer has been sent by God. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. 
There's other religions in this world. There's the, the Islam and, and Judaism and Hinduism and, and, and Buddhism. And there's lots of rules and, and regulations to follow in those religions. And there, then there are certain special people who they name as prophets who, who go and are sent by the gods. But it's only Christianity where the God that we serve is sending all of us. And Jesus said to the disciples, I am sending you. Now, he didn't just say, hey, here are a couple of tickets to a concert that I wanted to go to. And I can't because I've got to go to heaven. So take the tickets. If you want to go, go. If you can't, give them to someone else or throw them in the trash. It doesn't matter at all. And that's many people's view of this Christian life. It's like Jesus said to, that he's sending us, but we're just like, uh, I can't be bothered to go to the concert tonight. That is not what Jesus is saying to the disciples. In fact, Jesus is saying, I am sending these men, I am sending you as my representatives. He, he is sending them as ambassadors to speak on his behalf. And this isn't just for these disciples who were in the room that day. This is for all believers. 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Did you know? That God has called you, and God has called you not just to sit and just to do life however you want to do life. He has called you to a place of honor, for you are an ambassador of the king. You are not an average Christian. When you walked into this room today, you're like, well, I'm just maybe an average guy, average girl, I'm an average Christian. You are not an average Christian. You are an ambassador of the king. You are the face of Jesus and the voice of Jesus to the people that you meet every single day. One of my favorite current shows that's on right now, it's called Madam Secretary. And it's about a lady who's Secretary of State in the United States. And, and uh, what, what, what you learn if you don't know anything about politics from, from this show is that she now is the representative of the United States, the face of the United States to all the other nations. And that is what a Secretary of State is. A Secretary of State is the face of the United States to all other nations. You would have thought we would have got a prettier Secretary of State, right? But that's what we've got, right? who we've got right now. But what they do, the Secretary of State, they oversee all the ambassadors of all the countries. And so United States send out representatives called ambassadors to different countries who will live in those countries and then they will speak and act on behalf of the United States of America. They're not there just to sample the local cuisine and, uh, you know, enjoy the sights and then just report back occasionally to the, to the United States. No, they are there continually every single day on state business. And, and that's what I found out from this show. Like, like, they are never not on state business. Even if they're on vacation, they are still the face and the voice of the United States. And that's exactly what you are as a believer of Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador of King Jesus. What that means as a believer, you live every day on kingdom business. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning, a couple of things that you may feel a little uncomfortable, but I want you to repeat after me. So repeat this. I am not an average Christian. 
I have been sent by the king. I am his ambassador. Let's say it again. I am not an average Christian. I have been sent by the king. I am his ambassador. And that is who you are. And that is your purpose and your mission in life. You are an ambassador of King Jesus, the king of this universe. Second thing that Jesus says here is this. In found in John chapter 20, verse 22. It says, then Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you are an ambassador of King Jesus, but in of yourself, you do not have the equipment, you do not have the qualifications or the knowledge to actually be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You do not have what it takes to be an ambassador in and of yourself. I know some of you think you're amazing, but you're not quite amazing enough. And so you need help. You need to be equipped. You need to be trained. You need to be qualified. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus breathed on the disciples. Now, it's significant that they put this in there. It's not that Jesus didn't honor personal space and he was like a close talker. You know, those people, they get too close and it's like, whoa, put a mint in your mouth when you're speaking to me. It wasn't one of those. Jesus breathed on them because it was a symbol. It was a symbol of a transfer of power. Now, the prophets of old, they had symbols of power. And they would give to their successors, so their successors then would receive the same power. Uh, Elijah was, was someone just like this. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of God. He had a cloak. He called it his mantle. And it spoke of the power of the prophet. And Elijah, when it was time for Elijah to, 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 to go, he got the coat or he got the mantle and he gave it to Elisha to show there had been a transfer of power to Elisha. And this is what Jesus is doing. It's a symbol of a transfer of power. Now notice, Jesus breathed on them. There is wind involved here. Now in the Bible, wind has two significant things. The first significant thing about wind, it always speaks of spirit. Always speaks of spirit. There's a word that the, 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 the old Christians used to use called pneuma. And Numa speaks of wind. And it talks about the spirit of God. So Jesus, as he's breathing, he's signifying his spirit. But there's a second thing that Jesus is doing as well. Wind also speaks or breath speaks of new life. Remember when God created the world, he breathed it into existence. He breathed new life into existence. And so what Jesus is doing, he's not just breathing as a symbol of a transfer of power. Jesus is now transferring his spirit, his life, his being. And he's saying to the disciples, okay, now it's your turn. The tools I have, I'm going to give to you my power, my life, and my spirits. And then Jesus made this statement, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a welcoming gesture. This is meaning opening up your life to receive, to welcome in. Now, previously, Jesus had told his disciples that he would send a helper and someone who would equip. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe this is a, a transfer of power that we need to allow into our lives for God to come and, and put his spirit within us. Now, there are many people today who profess Jesus as Lord, but refuse to be welcome into the Holy Spirit. 
They're like, that's kind of the wacky side of Christianity. I want just the normal side of Christianity, not the kind of crazy stuff. And so they refuse to be welcoming to the Holy Spirit. But this is what happens. It just means if you refuse the Holy Spirit, you are limiting the power of Jesus within you. It's impossible to be an effective, uh, effective ambassador without all the tools and the equipping. And this is found through the Holy Spirit. So we must receive. The Holy Spirit isn't some whack job that somebody decided to make up years ago. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as a tool, as a helper, so that you can be an effective ambassador for Jesus Christ. How many of you want the power of Jesus today? You want the power of Jesus? I want the power of Jesus. I know there's things in my life, I need the power of Jesus. There's people in my life right now who need healing. They need the power of Jesus. There's people, they need a, a marriage restored or they need help bringing up their children. They need, they're, they're, they're like, uh, they don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. And they need the power and the life of Jesus within them. And I don't know about you, but I want the power of Jesus. But if you want the power of Jesus, then you must receive. So say after me today, if I want the power of Jesus, I must receive. And that is receiving the Holy Spirit, opening up your heart to the Holy Spirit. Very quickly today, the last thing. The story goes on. Jesus says, receive to them. And then eight days later. They're meeting again and Thomas is there and Thomas didn't believe that Jesus was alive and Thomas gets a bad rap. All because Thomas says, I won't believe unless I touch the nail, the, the, the scars in his hands. And, and, and he gets a bad rap because we say he's doubting Thomas. He didn't, you know, have great faith. But let's be honest, I bet all of us, we do this from time to time. We pray, God, if it's really you, then show me this. If God, if it's really you, then bring this person into my life. God, if it's really you, then, then you know, let me see a miracle. I've prayed it. I don't know about you. I've prayed it because sometimes we doubt whether it's God. And this is why faith is so hard because it takes unsighted vision to believe. But then Jesus comes and Thomas sees him and Thomas touches his scars in his hands and his, and his sides. And suddenly he realizes it's the Lord. And this is what Jesus said, believe, believe. John continues to tell us that we must listen to the stories of faith that have been written about the life of Jesus so that we will continue to believe. John says that it is by believing we will experience life by the power of the name of Jesus. I believe that we need to encourage each other with our stories of faith. So that we can believe and we can lift each other up. This is why I need church and why I need you. See, I often forget. I forget the faithfulness of God. I forget how good God has been from time to time. I, I, I forget that God is on my side, that God is for me, that God wants the best for me, that, that God is my provider and my healer and my source and my strength. And I forget. And what happens when I start to forget? My faith starts to wane. My belief level goes down. And then I stop living victoriously in the power of the name of Jesus. And so what happens is then my life starts to go down, but that's why I need you. 
Because when I see our band leading us into worship, it causes me to want to worship. And as I start to worship, I start to believe. When when you push me to dig deeper into God's word, I start to hear the stories of faith of Jesus. And it makes me start to believe and my belief level starts to rise. When I start to hear your stories of God's faithfulness in your lives, suddenly my belief level starts to rise and I start living more victoriously in the name of Jesus. When I hear you pray, and I love to hear you pray, when I hear you pray, I start to to, to believe more and I get encouraged and that belief causes me to live more victoriously in the name of Jesus. And this is why we need each other. We need to hear each other's stories If God has healed you, we need to hear about it. Why? Because firstly, we we need to celebrate with you. But then it also encourages us to believe more. If God has provided for you when you thought he could not provide or there was no provision, we need to hear about it because we need to celebrate you and celebrate what God has done in your life. And we need to be encouraged so our belief level rises. If your marriage was failing and now it's getting back together, we need to hear about it because we need to celebrate with you. But then we also need to be encouraged because our belief level will rise. If you've got a prodigal son or daughter who is coming home, then we need to hear about it because we need to celebrate with you and we need to be encouraged so that we can believe in the Lord even more. This is why I need church and I need you. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says this, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need one another. I want you to look at the person to your left and your right. and I want you to say this to them. I need you and you need me. You may look at the person on your left and your right like, do I really need them? You do need them. You need them because we need each other to encourage each other. Just imagine if that person who brought you to Christ, maybe it was that friend or that neighbor or that loved one, or maybe it was that Sunday school teacher or that preacher or or, or that person in that small group who brought you to Christ. Imagine if they had rejected Christianity. Imagine if they said, you know what, I can be a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. Imagine if they said, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in organized religion or organized church. Where would you be right now? You probably wouldn't be here. Could you imagine if we didn't have each other? I know my belief level would be almost non-existent and I would not be able to make it through each and every day. I know I would not be living by the power of the Holy Spirit that is within me if we didn't have each other. See, this is my desire for you today is that you will understand that Jesus is sending you on his behalf for you are his ambassadors. But wait, before you go, you know that you are not equipped to do it yourself. You are not equipped to do what Jesus needs you to do, so you need to open up your hearts and welcome in and receive the Holy Spirit. But wait, before you go. That isn't done alone. You can't do it alone. 
but we are to do it together as we celebrate together, encourage each other, as we cheer each other on so that we can live the life of faith and the life of power that is only found in the name of Jesus. What is the point of Christianity? This is the point of Christianity. The work of Jesus is not finished. It is not done. And that is why he is sending you to be his ambassador. So you need to receive the Holy Spirit so you can go with the power of Jesus and then you need to gather together with each other so you can encourage and lift each other up as you live in the life and the power of Jesus Christ. That is the point of Christianity and that is the point of church. Let's bow our heads in prayer. So as we close today, I just want to quickly pray for you. And as I pray for you today, there's some of you today, tomorrow morning, you are going into some dark places. You're going into your workplace and you know there's people, they need Jesus. You know some of them really need Jesus. And God has sent you into that place, into that workplace or into that circle of friends or into that family situation to be a light. Some of you today, you are going home to a spouse who does not know Jesus. You're going home to children who have run away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is sending you on his behalf to be a light to them so they can receive the life of Jesus. Some of you today, and you're trying and you're struggling to to be an example for Jesus and you know you need some help today. Well, today is the day that you open up your hearts and you receive the Holy Spirit as Jesus breathes on us and he transfers his power and his life and his spirit. And we need to open up our hearts and receive. Some of you, you've got some warped view about the Holy Spirit. Somebody in days past has maybe taught you something that that has just scared you about the Holy Spirit, that was just wrong theology about the Holy Spirit, and now you've rejected the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is your friend, He is your comforter, He is your help, He is your equipper, and you need Him to open up your hearts to the Holy Spirit today. Some of you today, your belief is on the wane, is on the, is on the down. And you need belief to rise today. Well, I'm here today to encourage you that God is with you, that God is for you, not against you. That all things work together for good, for those who are called of God and love God. I'm here to tell you today that the enemy is a liar, that the devil is a liar. And God is not done with you. Your life is not done and dusted But there are greater days ahead. And I'm here to encourage you that God is with you as you go forward. Do not let your belief go down, but let your belief rise today as you live in the power and might of the name of Jesus. And so pray with me today.